Uninvisible is a support podcast that deals squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our terms of service and privacy policy which are available on our website located at uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman. And I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us. I am here today with Brooke Gahan, who is the founder of The Heal Hive, and you'll also know her as Everyday Expert on Instagram and social media. Um, she has survived multiple chronic illnesses, most particularly Lyme, and she's here today to talk to us about it. So, Brooke, thank you so much for joining us. You're so welcome. I'm so excited to finally meet you and speak <laughs> with you. Yeah, you. it's great. Well, you know, and when I got in touch with you, uh, one of the things I said was like, I've been following along with the work that you're doing for a while now. And it's all just, it's so exciting. Um, and really you're somebody who is beginning to bring discussion about bee venom therapy into the mainstream, which is super thrilling. So why don't we though backtrack a little bit and start from the very beginning? Why don't you tell us when and how you first realized you're sick? Because Lyme isn't the only illness that you've survived. No, I'm a multiple melanoma survivor, um, autoimmune survivor, survivor of living in New York for 20 years. <laughs> I feel you on that. <laughs> so yes, I've, I've been through it all. Um, and, you know, I just got back from skiing Aspen, of which I had really, I had no idea I was sick with Lyme at the time, but was already experiencing night sweats, migraines, neck pain, and POTS. It was the beginning of me passing out uncontrollably. And I still went skiing in on some pretty rough um, mountains back in Europe. This and wasn't this wasn't just now. This was like no, 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 years this was ago. years ago. And <laughs> I hurt myself deeply. And so just last week, I went back to conquer the mountains. And um, so now I really... It, that brought up a lot of PTSD and I now really realize mm -hmm. how much a survivor on every level um, because I haven't really had to confront since I've been so healthy for so many years now. Yeah. I haven't really had to confront the, the, the true trauma you still hold. And yeah. I had to confront it on those mountains and it was, it was deep. It was heavy. Yeah, I <laughs> so, bet. Well, you did have some good me. wines with you to help you through that process. Yes, I, I did bring my own biodynamic wine. Yes. <laughs> I did not ski drunk. That's no, <laughs> not through the skiing process. So, okay. So it was years ago when you were out in Aspen that you realized that something was really going on. No, I was, I was in New York. Okay. Um, I had gone to school um, in the Berkshires and upstate New York and had summered in the Hamptons. So who knows when I first got bit. Um, yeah. I started, I went back East from, I grew up in Arizona um, when I was 16. So I didn't really feel anything but incredible vitality and energy until about 10 years ago. Hmm. And then during that time, I was going between New York and London constantly, and then moved to London for a bit of it. And why it was why I was in London, 
that all of a sudden the night sweats, the, um, the, uh, the migraines, the neck pain, um, and I started passing out. So my, my boyfriend at the time would say, Oh, I'm popping over to grab us some croissants and, you know, coffee in the morning. I'll be right back. 15 minutes later, he would find me passed out on the toilet. Mm. Like I would have just gotten up to the bathroom and I'd be passed out. We kept calling the hospital. I'd be making eggs in the morning. I would pass out at the oven. Um, yeah. You know, we'd be going out to, we'd be going out to a restaurant and I get up um, at the end of the evening, you know, to go to the bathroom or get the coat and pass out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was terrifying. I started going to neurologists, both in New York and London. And of I course. saw many, many specialists. I saw a lot of integrative doctors in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet I was, I was left with no answers. No one ever tested me for Lyme. And then mm-hmm. the symptoms disappeared. Mm-hmm. I had gone on a really, really strict diet and a roommate of mine who had had Lyme had left me with these herbs. She'd never told me these were the herbs for Lyme disease. <laughs> she just left. She me wanted with, to trick you. <laughs> yeah, like berberine and, you know, a lot of these, you know, very, very common herbs for Lyme. And I took them and my symptoms disappeared. But mm. now I wish I hadn't because they just went dormant. But, um, I continue to just, I felt like regain myself um, without having had any answers why I had this like horrible year of passing out. And, um, and then one, I was really, really feeling it. I had gone skiing, thus the big accident. Um, I started to have vertigo on the, on the slopes and my ski tip fell into some ice. And then I completely obliterated my knee. It's called a fully blown knee. It's called the a terrible triad in which basically okay. nothing connects your upper leg and your lower leg, but skin. Oof. So after that, I had six months of rehab where I just, you know, I worked from home. I lessened my stress. I moved back to New York. I was surrounded by friends and, you know, now it makes sense. Like I went on a super clean diet, you know, I wanted to eat clean because I couldn't exercise and everything disappeared. Mm. However, it was then I started getting ovarian cysts that were the size of grapefruits. I started getting multiple melanomas and I couldn't figure it out. And I really felt intrinsically that there was something wrong with my immune system, but yet all the tests came out negative. Hmm. So I just kind of believed my doctors and just thought like, Oh, I'm getting melanoma because of stress. Um, And luckily I caught each melanoma very, you know, fairly early. The one on my leg, they had excised half my calf, which sounds really extreme. And it was a melanoma one going into two, but I didn't catch it at two or three. I caught it at, you know, one going into two. And Mm -hmm. even so melanoma surgery is really extreme. So all of these things really caused me to, to rethink diet, to rethink stress, but I was still a busy, you know, harried New Yorker who did it. And, and you sort of put it down to that, don't you? And I did. And my doctors did as well. Um, and so it wasn't until I got bit again mm. that I was more Lyme aware. I by then knew people who had chronic Lyme before mm. then, 10 years ago, I just thought Lyme was something that you took antibiotics and it went away. And, we and are, are you also thinking at this point that like maybe the Lyme is the trigger for all of the other illnesses, including the melanomas? Oh, I absolutely, yeah. with the research I've done, yeah. um, I absolutely correlate uh, lowered immune system from chronic infection to cancer. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily always 
have to be that there could be external influences like radiation poisoning, you know, constant systemic inflammation from like constant stress. There's other things, but yes, science has now absolutely proven that chronic infections like EBV, you know, infections such as, you know, chronic bacterial infections, Mm -hmm. AKA Lyme disease can absolutely contribute to a lowered immune system that can then lead to cancer. Yeah. Um, What I can say is that I've been melanoma free from the, from the, basically the first um, time I started B-Ven therapy. I have not had another melanoma since. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And it's completely healed you in general, which we're going to get into in general, but, um, you know, for me that they've already, they've already shown that bee venom has a really um, strong, powerful chemotherapeutic agent mm. in it. So for me, I think it was the key, but yeah. you know, dialing back to when these symptoms happened, um, when I got bit again, mm. um, the first time I never noticed a bite, but right. um, I, which is common. You don't always see like the, the bullseye is not always a sign that you've been bitten, is it? No, I mean, they say over half the people never get a bullseye. You just, Mm. the body doesn't react that way. Um, So this time I got bit, um, I got a bullseye immediately. I knew exactly what to do. I went to the doctor, I got a month of antibiotics. um, And just to give you context, the day that I got bit again was a day in which I basically was running a magazine in New York I drove myself out to three hours to the beach, um, played two games of doubles tennis, <laughs> and then threw a dinner party and ended up dancing on tables at a beach club. So oh my gosh. went to bed at 2, 2 a.m. Yeah. So that was my day. Hmm. I got bit. The next day I felt horrible, went to the doctor, had the bullseye. They, the doctor fought with me about the bullseye. He's like, that looks like a spider bite. I'm like, mm-hmm. it's a bullseye. He's mm-hmm. like, well, where's the tick? And I was like, it must have fallen out in the middle of the night. Um, and you know, my, I got, it was right on my wrist, which was a really weird place, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was very clear. Mm -hmm. And anyway, I went on antibiotics immediately and I thought I'd be back at work, um, by Monday and I felt fatigued. I I didn't feel well. I called into work and I just said, I can't make it, but I'll be there by like Wednesday. Wednesday went along Friday, the next week. I never went back. I never cleared Mm -hmm. my desk. I literally... From that day of that bite and from the day I went on antibiotics, I felt like death. Um, And I say this because what I didn't realize is that I already had Lyme. Is that the reason I felt so horrible is that the minute I went on antibiotics, the Jerish-Herxheimer reaction started. Mm. And I started started really losing um, functionality. It took another three months for them to figure out that I had a very, very severe case of babesiosis as well. Right. That I nearly died from because the New York State Department of Health would not release my babesiosis scores because they believed that at the numbers that I had, they were too high to, to basically have not been already dead. So oh my goodness. They, they demanded to retest me two different times. And then only at the second time did they realize that I was indeed still alive and that these tests were realistic. And I got rushed to the ICU immediately. And is this when you also developed sepsis in the hospital? No, that was later. That was, later. <laughs> that was later. No problem. <laughs> I nearly died from Lyme disease three times. I ended wow. up in hospital three times and nearly died three times. Um, the last was, was the worst. That, that became close to where doctors were telling my loved ones, you know, get ready to say goodbye. Oh my gosh. I mean, obviously no one can see this right now, but I'm sort of like, it just leaves you speechless. Cause you know, you're here now and it's like, yeah, 
we can talk about, you know, you know, you've really obviously processed a lot of it, but it's just to have been on death's doorstep and back again is it's just amazing. Giving me a lot of gifts. Yeah. I don't look at it in a negative way at all. Um, yeah. I have learned such wisdom and I have such an appreciation for life. Mm. Um, and even being back on that mountain last week and having to face the PTSD of when basically my health started to fail, it wasn't necessarily the PTSD of having a, a horrible, tragic accident on a ski slope. Mm. It was, I had to then face again, wow, this was the beginning of 10 years. And it was really interesting. It was 2020, right? It was the beginning mm. of a new decade. It just felt like this rebirth in a way. And I was really happy to to have felt close to that trauma again. And I say this because it helps me become a better practitioner for mm. my clients is that when I'm reminded daily of, of what they're feeling, I'm just much more empathetic and I can put myself in their position. Um, and so I, 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 I think it's valuable, even if it's yeah. dramatic. No, I completely agree. I completely agree. So at this point you're diagnosed with babesiosis, Bartonella and you're in, and Bartonella and you're in the hospital and chronic EBV at this point. Wow. That had basically, I think, I, I'm sure I was holding on to it. Most of mm-hmm. us are exposed to it. I think there's a crazy statistic, like 96% of people are exposed to Epstein-Barr virus. Um, but it like usually lives in dormancy in your, you know, in your body and doesn't come out. But when you're sick, it comes out. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I was fighting all of those. And so I started seeing some of the much more well-known Lyme literate doctors in New York, I was put on super high doses of oral antibiotics, um, IV antibiotics, um, IV antivirals, um, oral antivirals, antiparasiticals. Um, How could you even keep track at that point? I mean, there was, yeah, there, there was just medicine cabinets upon medicine cabinets. Um, I just felt sicker and sicker and I started getting much more weak and I started losing my ability to, um, to speak neurologically. Mm -hmm. I was really compromised. I stopped being able to recall simple words. Um, Mm -hmm. the worst of it was when I lived in pretty much the same neighborhood for about 10 years in New York, I had run out of food and I really, no one could help me go to the store and I was just desperate. So I walked the two blocks, two blocks, to Whole Foods, mm. left Whole Foods. It started raining. I don't know what happened, but I got really confused and I couldn't figure out how to go home. Wow. And I freaked out. And I was like, I remember this. It was like that horrible winter sleet in New York that is yeah. like half snow, half rain. And I'm and my, my paper bag is getting soaked. And I call one of my best friends and I said, you need to help get me. I can't get home. And she said, mm. what are you talking about? You're two blocks from your house. I was like, I know. She's like, okay calm down. She's like, let's get you home. She's like, just look at a map. And I was like, Oh, great. Yeah, you're right. Like I'll just follow the map. And I looked at the map and it was like looking at a map made by aliens. Like Mm -hmm. I understood it was a map, but I couldn't actually make sense of like how you turn left or right or how you see North or South. It was looking at a map as if I was two years old and didn't know what a map was like. Mm -hmm. And I started hyperventilating and had a chat. And I was like, you have to come get me. And I went back into Whole Foods and waited 30 minutes for her to come walk me the two blocks. And at that point I just broke down and I just said to her, I think I'm dying. Um, and she's like, no, you're just really, really sick. And you're just like, you know, exhausted. And I was like, I've been sleeping for five days straight. What do you mean? Like I'm exhausted. I've, you know, I I can't sleep anymore. I sleep 
you know, 20 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are my days for months and months at a time that I would literally sleep most of the day and be up three hours a day. And in those days, not even have the energy to be able to heat up my food. I would eat it cold out of the refrigerator because I couldn't actually have the energy to stand up at sure. the oven. And I just went through this, the pain was excruciating. Um, and I went through these months of, of just kind of being in this cloud. Um, luckily, I had found out that there was a better practitioner for Lyme in New Mexico. Hmm. Uh, a, a Lyme warrior had convinced me to go with her to New Mexico. And I went to go see this doctor. And I started um, ozone autohemotherapy. Um, and that was the first time I did a clonic. And he had he toned down some of the oral and IVs and I did some, a lot more supportive IVs than just pure killing. Mm-hmm. Um, looking back, it still wasn't helping me, but it did help me regain about 40% of functionality. So I was able mm-hmm. to start walking again and I could think again, which was, you know, not, I was still brain fogged and fatigued and neurologically impaired, but you know, at my worst, I couldn't even read a paragraph. I would sure. completely get lost after the first two sentences. And now I could read a whole full page. Mm-hmm. So I took these small gains as major gains. And, um, but yet I, I stayed there for way too long. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't mean at the clinic, I mean, stayed at this level of barely surviving. Um, and then, um, my veins gave out and I ended up, um, having to get a portacath put in because at this point, when I say barely surviving is that I was able to take care of myself get to a doctor's office, get to the clinic, feed myself. Um, but only if I was on basically every day, daily IVs. Yeah. And um, they were excruciatingly expensive and they were just keeping me barely alive. Yeah. So um, my veins gave up. I had to have a port cath put in. And um, my parents had come to that surgery. And we were, I was recovering about three days later in a restaurant. And one of the nurses from the clinic walked in. And she was my favorite nurse. And my, I was just having a conversation with my father saying, you know, dad, I've gone through my savings. I've sold every precious thing I had. I was a violinist for 30 years. I sold my violin. I have beautiful couture gowns from throwing all these big events in New York. I had to sell them. I had amazing artwork because I just happened to have been in New York at a time when I had friends that were emerging artists. And so I sold, you know, I sold two portraits of myself by famous mm-hmm. artists. Like I just sold it all. I had to, I had to save my life. So I was down to about $4,000. And you, I mean, I know from having read all of the information that you have posted on the heel hive, you spent like upwards of 150 grand. Oh, that's just on medicine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but I would, didn't, I couldn't work for over two years. Sure. So my, my living, I never, when I, when I, when I reference 150,000 upwards, I reference what I spent on medicine. I don't That's reference medicine, what yeah. I had to spend on actually living. Mm. So it was definitely over a quarter of a million dollars. So I mm. just had to sell everything. And so I was down to my last three or 4,000. Um, I was hitting up my parents for money because I just yeah. said, you know, I need to, I need to stay alive. And my parents love me. My father was cheap and my parents are very, you know, practical and, you know, very middle class. And my dad's mm-hmm. like, you can't afford this. And right then the nurse walked in and I said, but dad, look, she had chronic Lyme and now she works in the, in the clinic. She's going to like, she's going to explain to you how it's all going to be okay. Like it just takes more and more time. And mm-hmm. it's like, how much more time? I was like, I don't know. Talk to her. So he went over to talk to her. And my dad said, well, how did, you know, he's kind of gruff and big man. And he's like, how did you get better? 
And she got silent. And my father's very smart. And he kind of saw through that silence. And he said, you didn't get better from this clinic, did you? Mm. And she goes, well, it's really supportive. And he goes, how did you get better? And she's like, I don't want to lose my job. I'm a single mother of three. And my dad's like, you better tell me. Yeah. And she's like, bee venom. And I had tried bee venom from the woman she had actually learned from um, who started um, basically bee venom in America called Voice of the Hoshindo. And Hoshindo uh, is the Japanese term for bee venom therapy, isn't it? Um, yes, that's what Voice says. Mm. So um, I tried it with her once. It was when I was on multiple IVs, orals, and I completely freaked out. It did not seem like it was for me. It seemed scary. The bee sting hurt. And I had so much die-off already happening. I shouldn't have stung at that time. So I was really turned off by it. Didn't mm. thought it was way too woo-woo. Never went into it with understanding bee venom science. Mm-hmm. And so I, it just seemed like another woo-woo thing that I was going to spend a lot of money on and not get better from. So I just did it once with just one sting. And I wasn't prepared. I was not eating right. I was just not in the right frame lifestyle changes that I just did not institute. So when I started, I, that first sting, I blew up my, my throat closed up, which I now understand why. And I was turned off by it. So then, but when she said bee venom therapy cured her, that was the first time I had heard anyone say it fully cured me. So my father and I sat down with her and my father, by the end of the conversation was like, how much does bee venom therapy cost? And she said, well, once you really get yourself into a good place and once you like learn how to do it properly, it's free. Yeah. You can find a bookkeeper, you run, you know, you have your own hive. My dad looked at me, he's like, that's what you're doing. Mm. So I love I'm, that he went with like the sort of theoretically woo-woo option. <laughs> because he's so cheap. <laughs> <laughs> so in a way, him being cheap kind of helped you out, actually. <laughs> no, I always say that the thing that saved my life was going broke. Yeah. Lyme, like, oh, you know, why don't you help the celebrity that has really bad Lyme? And I said, I would, but they have too much money. Mm. We have too many people that are really profiting off of their sickness. And you really have to hit rock bottom. And yeah. so I hit rock bottom and I, I was broke. And it seemed, hey, there's nothing to lose when you have no money. Mm. Um, and then literally I started going to, I would still go to the clinic during the, during the day. And then three days a week, I'd, she'd sting me and started teaching me within a week. I, my brain fog had cleared where I was starting to be able to read like a full page, two pages, three pages again. Um, within two weeks, I felt like going on a walk on my own. It was just this natural inclination. I was like, it's a beautiful day. I want to walk. And it was midway through that walk that I realized, oh my God, this is the first time. I and mean, I still have shivers talking about it right now. Yeah. Um, it was the first time that I, I naturally felt so that I had enough vitality to put myself in a position of enjoying the day. And within three weeks, I, you know, there was no need for me to use a wheelchair. There was no need for me to use a cane. I felt like I wanted to go on a hike. Wow. I knew it was time to go back to New York. So within three weeks um, of working with her, I just said, teach me everything you can teach me. And um, I left. I left the clinic, never went back mm. um, and started to sting myself. And within three months, I was d- dancing on those tables again <laughs> at the same beach club. It was three years later after that sting 
I mean, sorry, after that bite. And um, I thought I had my life back. Mm. And then the Lyme doctor called. Mm. I said, how are you doing, Brooke? <laughs> Doc, I'm doing great. Yeah. Blah, 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 this is going on, yada, yada. He's like, oh, I'm so excited for you. This is awesome. Guess what? <laughs> you know how we tried you on IVIG before? You know how we tried you on low-dose immunotherapy before? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, you know, we know that didn't work. He goes, well, there's a new LDI. Hmm. He's like, it's going to be great. It's just going to like super, like, you know, it's going to elevate your, your B venom therapy. It's only going to help your immune system. And at this point, I still didn't truly understand what I know now about how Lyme disease modulates the immune system and what it does and how it supports everything. And so I just said, great doc, send hmm. it, send it to me. Um, I had, as I said, $4,000 left over. I hadn't really spent a lot because when I moved back to New York, I moved into my friend's closet. So I was living rent-free in her closet. (laughs) It was a big walk-in closet. It was a very beautiful big walk-in closet, but it was a closet. And I really- A true New York tale of survival. (laughs) Totally. I didn't really have any expenses. So I had most of that $4,000 left. And he said it was going to be $2,500. And he basically said- it was August. I really, I was desperate to go back to work. I had no money left. I was desperate to like not be homeless living in a friend's closet. So I was just ready. And I said, absolutely doc. Great. If this is like, I'm already feeling so great. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine what I'm going to feel like if this is going to like, you know, double, triple how fast I heal. Yeah. Um, and so he sent it to me. He didn't tell me that I should be careful that I should probably eat cooked foods, that mm-hmm. there was a chance that it could crash my immune system. Mm-hmm. Three days after the first injection, I was back in New York because I felt so horrible. A girlfriend had called me. She heard something weird in my voice. She came over. She said, I have never smelled death before. And she's like, I walked into that room and I smelled death. Um, What had happened is that the first day after the injection, it literally crashed my immune system. Mm. By the way, none of this is FDA approved. None of this is, has been tested. I was paying him $2,500 to be his guinea pig, which there was no other recommendations besides give me the money. Mm. And he knew that. He has a medical license. He's an MD. He should know that. Mm. So basically what had happened is that I was listening to him. He told me during that summer to get really, really good microbes back in my, in my horrible, horrible, you know, destroyed, you know, digestive tract mm-hmm. that I should start to um, juice and eat vegetables that mm-hmm. have barely been washed as long as they were organic or based bi- biotics. But oh. he didn't tell me when I did the LDI that I should basically that it could possibly crash my immune system and that I should definitely cook my vegetables and definitely Mm. wash them. So I was just listening to him and I had a green juice the day that I did the shot and the green juice had a rare bacteria in it called radiobacter. I became the 11th person in the world to ever come down with this bacterial infection. Oh my God. The only person in the United States and the only person ever that has ever gotten this infection that has not gone through massive chemotherapy. Oh my goodness. You usually only get it when it's crashed your immune system. <sighs> so I went from literally thinking I'm going back to work and like I have my life back after what at this point it was probably nearly five and a half months, six months of BVT, mm. B-Venom therapy, to then all of a sudden crashing. My girlfriend rushed me to the ICU. Um, they 
they, I mean, to the hospital, they immediately put me into the ICU and they called my parents and they said, she has 106 degree fever. She has an infection we've never seen. Um, where we don't know what it is. We actually have to send off her, um, back to her, her lab results to two microbiologists in Boston because we don't even, we've never seen this oh my gosh. and you better get on a plane because she's crashing. And there's a picture of me in the hospital room during that time in which I look like a corpse. I was mm. fully purple. My, my, my lips were bright blue oh and gosh. I look like I'm dead. Um, all my friends stood around me and they basically just did not know if I was going to survive. Um, luckily the, microbiologists in Boston were able to um, identify the bacteria. And then the scary part is that they had to culture the bacteria to see what um, antibiotics worked against it because they couldn't just give me broad spectrum because I was too weak. I was literally dying. So it was two days and two more, 48 hours of, of basically touch and go of hanging on. Yeah. The nurses would pick me up and put me into ice baths, which I like, I, I remember I was like, God, I was like fighting them. My friends were like, no, you weren't. You couldn't even lift your finger. Like, yeah. but in my brain, I was like fighting them. Um, but I survived it. I survived those crazy fevers, and they found a um, antibiotic that worked, and I survived. And oh after that, I it was what I needed to. West Western medicine saved my life in the mm-hmm. hospital, but it was what I needed to remind myself that the medical system is broken. Yeah. And that I needed to stop just accepting advice and start questioning. Yeah. This is a really big turning point for a lot of patients with chronic illness, isn't it? And not just the patients, but like our loved ones, like even your dad with questioning the nurse about venom therapy, you know, that like there is a point at which we go, gee, why haven't I been asking more questions this whole time? Right. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. really interesting to me. And I can't even imagine what it must've been like for your friends and family to be called into the hospital to maybe say goodbye. When I was, when I started having my life back. Yeah. That was yeah. like, that, that was, that was crucially important to me is to see just how, how I could not allow the system to use me as a guinea pig anymore. Yeah. Um, but that I had to also embrace medicine because medicine did save me. Yeah, so sure. It was a, it was a, it was a really good lesson of understanding that I had to question authority, but also truly embrace science. And mm. so that's what I did. I left the hospital. I then started truly researching bee venom. I was like, so when I you was, thought you hit rock bottom before, this time you really did. <laughs> I really did. Yeah. And yet I, I, I left the hospital having more respect for science than ever. Mm. And so I started really understanding bee venom and doing, you know, double duty research on how it worked so that I, cause I knew that I was like, how did this, how did this work where everything else failed and nearly mm-hmm. killed me? How um, did you know where to find the right information and the right sources scientifically? Um, Google was my friend, but I was also, I was a pre-med major. I was, mm-hmm. I really had I, my whole life. I had worked hard to become a doctor and at mm-hmm. the last minute had, fall in love with literature and decided to become a, a lit grad. But um, I didn't change my, I didn't change my um, major until my junior year. So mm-hmm. I was fully a, a, a total science nerd. Yeah. My last year of high school, I built an electric vehicle that wow. won a national prize. Like I was vice president of my physics club. I was a total science nerd. So yeah. I was just going back to a happy place that I didn't, that I 
like long lost, forgotten. Mm. Isn't um, that kind of wonderful too? This whole experience reawakened a part of yourself that was dormant, but important and creatively for you. I, I do believe that chronic illness can save your life mm. if you so choose and you so embrace how to, you know, nothing is easy about life. Mm. Even people who've been built, you know, born with silver spoons, you know, have just as many issues as those that don't. Um, mm. But it's how you are able, it's a support system that you build around yourself. It's how you're able to navigate, you know, hardships. It's the, it's the mental strength you have to put yourself into a positive place, no matter how hard things are. Yeah. And, um, you have found that within yourself too. That's the interesting thing, you know, that like at one stage, your dad had been the one saying, let's try this therapy, but ultimately it was you making these decisions and you doing the research and yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I started, you know, licking my finger, putting up to the wind and listening, right. Instead of kind of blindly in a panic, going with whatever people told me to. I started truly listening to the world around me um, and digging deep. And so, yeah, I um, ended up finishing Bee Venom, um, went from strength to strength to strength. And, you know, it was during that time in the hospital that I realized that my friend, now my husband, Mm. never left my side, was truly the love of my life. And Mm. so, you know. And you guys just got married last year. Yeah, this in May. And so- we had a bee themed wedding, of course, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> um, and uh, and so I think about that time in the hospital is that I didn't nearly lose my life; I absolutely regained it. Mm, that's such a beautiful perspective, and I think you know that's the little it's the the sort of pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, right? That like a lot of people struggle to reach when they're in the throes of total illness and, and lack of function. Right. But, um, that there is something on the other side of that, that there are ways through it. Um, and that you have to make that choice, obviously, you know, but yeah, it's all in that choice, but that you, I mean, it doesn't sound like there was ever a question for you that you might just die. Oh yes. I mean, I, I, I try and explain this to clients that every day I lost hope and every day I thought I was going to die and every day I knew I was going to get better and I was going to beat this. It was just, I, I vacillated within, within the hour. But my point to them always is it's okay to have a better day. It's okay to vacillate. It's okay to lose hope. It's natural. It's human, but you can't stay there. You have to force yourself out of it and you have to, you know, look out the window and see that bird on a, on a branch and take in the beauty of that moment. You know, you have to force yourself to see the beauty in the world and in others. Um, I think one of the, one of the most destructive things for chronic illness is bitterness. And I see it all the time. That's it's, a very good point. And it's a victimization. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the problem is, is that you, if you stay there, you don't get out, you, you don't vacillate out of the bitterness and the lack of hope and you just stay there. And it's bad for your, your like on a scientific you know, basis, yeah. it's bad for your immune system. It's horrible for mental health, um, but you're just doing yourself a disservice and it doesn't attract others to try and help you. Hmm. And I think- That's very, very true. And that's a huge thing too, because people say, where have all my friends gone? And sometimes, you know, friends and loved ones leave 
without good reason, but sometimes they also leave because they're pushed away and there can be both of these elements at play. Yeah. There's a victimization and a selfishness when you get sick, which is absolutely normal and human. Hmm. But when you're chronically ill and you don't, you stop seeing yourself in any type of objective, objective way and everything becomes you, 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 I'm sick. I'm feeling this way. I'm in pain. It is absolutely human for everyone else to be turned off by that. And it's, it's hard. It's hard to navigate that, which is why I think it's really important for people to have a community outside of the chronic illness community. Um, you know, I'm not a, I was never one to embrace the victimization, which I mm. see in chronic illness, the spoonie culture, which yeah. is like, let's all just be spoonies together and live our spoonie life. And, and that's hard it. to be around. Yeah. That's really hard. Yeah. And I mean, no offense to people that are embracing that right now, but it's not, it's not going to help you ever have an easier time matriculating back into normal life. Yeah. The more you isolate yourself with just sick people, yep. you need to have a balanced perspective. And the only way you do that is by, you know, in little ways, like let's say all your friends left you. Great. They, they suck anyways. And mm-hmm. you're not worth your time. You're going to make <laughs> better friends later. And I sure did, mm-hmm. but let's just say they did, you know, go out, volunteer at an organization where all you have to do is like sit at a yoga studio, like, and check people in or do something simple that you can actually manage where you're Mm -hmm. around people that are not in your social circle of sickness, because it's so vitally important. Um, So that's what I think it saved me. I never wanted to identify as a permanent sick person. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't, and I really forced myself to be around healthy friends. And that's how I met my husband is mm-hmm. that at one of my sickest, when I was still attached to IV pole, my friends were like, you have to come up for the weekend to the Catskills. And I was just like, I'm too sick. I can't. And they called me again. They're like, are you sure you haven't left your house in three months? <laughs> like, yep, let's do it. And yeah. they all went skiing. I couldn't. And I sat on my couch and my husband walked in and he sat down next to me. And I was like, I'm the weirdo with an IV pole attached to me. And he's like, Nice to meet you. And I think back to the fact that if I hadn't said yes to everything, I don't know where I would be. Mm. But I said yes. And I forced myself to be around healthy people that were happy. And it, it wasn't pleasant. It hurt. It hurt yeah. to be around pe- couples in love and couples and people and watch my friends have so much success and have babies. And it hurt. It was not easy. But I forced myself to suck down the happy pill and be happy for them. And I tried my best to put my bitter pills in, you know, in the drawer and, um, it, it saved me. It really did. Yeah. Yeah. That's really excellent advice. I think this episode is sponsored by Ember labs, creators of the Ember wave, the intelligent bracelet that helps control how you experience temperature. I'm heat sensitive. And this device has been a lifesaver using patented technology. It cools or warms the temperature sensitive skin on your wrist creating a natural response in your body and mind that helps you thermally adjust in minutes. It was selected by Time magazine as one of 2018's best inventions. For those of you with mounting medical costs to consider, the team at Ember offer a payment plan in partnership with a firm. And because you listen to an invisible pod, they are offering you $30 off. Go to emberlabs.com. That's E-M-B-R labs.com. Enter code invisible at checkout and experience personal thermal wellness on a whole new level with me. So how did this entire experience, this healing journey that you went on, first of all, how long did it take you to fully heal from the time you started B-Venom therapy, like sort of all in? 
it it wasn't an easy road. Um, I think people have to distinguish that bee venom is medicine. Yeah. But like any medicine, it's merely medicine. It's not the full picture. The reason I started the Heal Hive is not because um, it's not because I think that you know there's that many barriers to starting bee venom therapy, but because of my experience and journey, I recognize that there's so many other systemic issues that happen when you get chronically ill. And then if you don't use Western medicine, if you don't actually do comprehensive lab testing, if you don't get on the right diet, if you don't actually learn to manage stress and sleep hygiene and, you know, actually breath work and manage your mental health, you're not, the medicine can only work as medicine does. It's still medicine after all. Well, that's what's very cool is that the, the approach that you take at the heel hive is extremely integrative in that way. Exactly. Um, I, I tried to take every mistake I made and turn it around into a system that actually works for everyone. Um, and so for me, I ran into roadblocks. I was feeling much better from the bee venom, hmm. but I was still not a hundred percent. And it wasn't until I started being able to see how, what the bee venom was doing in terms of reducing so many symptoms that the other symptoms really became apparent. And I was able to then distinguish because when you, you know, I started, I started bee venom therapy with over 50 plus severe symptoms, Mm. 50, you know, heart palpitations to pots, to fibromyalgia, rheumatoid arthritis, you know, um, you had Hashimoto's too, didn't you? Hashimoto's chronic fatigue syndrome, chronic pain, like, interstitial cystitis, um, chronic migraines, like, I mean, the kid and caboodle, right? So it was only when the bee venom month to month started taking away the symptoms that I was able to then differentiate. It was peeling back the onion layer, right? Mm. I was able to get down to the core of, wait a second, whoa, I still have these symptoms. I don't think they're moving. Like Mm. they're not changing. They're not dissipating. They seem pretty severe. And so then I was able to then fight with doctors for my right to comprehensively test and to find um, specialists who could actually dig down and find root causes. And what I did find is um, that I had celiac disease and that I also had another autoimmune disease called pernicious anemia. And Mm. I also had atrophic astritis and Raynaud's. And Mm. so that, that built the picture. My Hashimoto's had actually disappeared. I stopped creating antibodies against my thyroid with the bee venom. But um, I'm like, girl, I'm coming to one of your retreats. (laughs) Oh, this fun too. Believe me. And they were like talking about bees and, and health and, and sickness. They're really fun. Um, So yes, I was able to, by that time I'd really empowered myself to learn how to read lab test. I learned Mm. how to fire doctors. I went to five gastroenterologists before I found the one that diagnosed me. Mm. And they all looked at my celiac antibody test that looked like negative. And they said, you don't have celiac. And I was like, go fuck yourself. Yes, I do. Of course, I found the doctor that was like, oh, you are the epitome of celiac. And then he did an endoscope and a colonoscopy. And of course, I had massive damage. Um, Mm. And so, you know, it was peeling back these onion layers and really using Western medicine and Western doctors. And what had happened, I realized is that Lyme doctors, Lyme literate doctors, the minute that they sometimes hear, and not, this is not for everyone, but this is a generalization, of course. But in my experience, the minute they heard Lyme disease, it was an umbrella term for everything. And they didn't, they didn't actually 
force themselves to be creative and to start digging deeper because yeah. everything is lime, right? The pain yeah. was lime. The fatigue was lime. The passing out was lime. Like it was all lime. But if you want to target your therapy, you have to target your diagnoses as well. Yes. Mm. So now at the heel hive, I'm very bullish about, you know, I just had a client yesterday that, you know, her thyroid antibodies are extreme. They're the highest I've ever seen. And yet she's going to her regular GP still. And she's like, I don't understand it. My GP just keeps putting me on different thyroid dosages and it's not helping. And I said, I'm so glad she's obviously a first time client because, you know, I immediately said, we're, we're changing this up. You're seeing a specialist endocrinologist. You're seeing yeah. someone who's done this for eight years. I mean, who has eight years of training mm. to support you. You yeah. need a specialist, you know, like, again, when things are not working, when your lab results look skewed, you need to find answers. It's mm. not okay to just be suffering. So mm. that is like in a very, very simple, you know, kind of explanation of what I do is that I just look at, I look at what is very, very obvious, but that we're, we've been trained not to question yeah. because in Western medicine, we put doctors on pedestals and we expect them to care as much as we care about our own health. Yeah. And at times they have five minutes to see us and five, you know, many times they don't even look over the, the lab work. Yeah. I have a client who had severe deep vein thrombosis. Mm-hmm. If anyone knows that, that can lead to, you know, fatal blood clots. Yeah. And her doctors have been sitting on the lab results for three months. It wasn't until I got them that I said, this is, this is absurd. You mm-hmm. need to go to your doctor right away and you need to get treatment, which she did. But um, her, her own husband was a doctor. He mm-hmm. hadn't even bothered to look at the lab work because he suspected that if the doctor didn't, had sent the lab work and it was fine, that it was fine. And she yeah, never looked over the lab work because she expected that her doctor would tell her something was potentially fatal. Mm-hmm. And so Absolutely. everyone just expected the other to, to, to be responsible. Mm. Whereas I walk into every relationship with every client and every retreat with saying to everyone, it's up to you. You are ultimately your own doctor. I'm not, no one else is. You got to question authority. You got to question everything. And you have to empower yourself to understand this because it's not just teaching someone to be sting, not teaching someone to fish. It's about teaching them how to actually learn how to stay healthy for the rest of their life. Because I don't care about, I mean, of course I care about whether you get better from bee venom right now, but I want you to be healthy for the rest of your life. I am not interested in, you know, three years of health, and then you're sick again. I really want to empower everyone to be able to empower themselves for the rest of their life. And we have to, because our medical system is absolutely broken. Yeah, absolutely. So at what point did you um, realize that the work that you were doing to heal yourself was something that you had to share with other people and sort of give birth to the heal hive? Oh, I didn't. It was Mm -hmm. chosen for me. Um, I wanted nothing more than to join you know, the world outside of sickness. Mm. Um, I started a paleo bakery. I was making fabulous cakes for fabulous people. Smile, smile with a Y. Yes, exactly. Um, And it was fun. It was cathartic to make something with my hands and have something and then feed people. There's, I mean, you know, I felt like an Italian grandmother, like (laughs) it felt nourishing and it felt like everything I I needed for the time. Um, and you were nourishing other people after having healed yourself, which I'm yeah, sure felt like you were paying it forward. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I ended up um, in LA where my husband grew up and um, he really was interested in moving back to LA. And so we were um, there on a kind of recognizance trip. And um, 
a woman found me at Whole Foods. Um, her name is Faith. And she tapped me on the shoulder and she said, are you everyday expert? And mm-hmm. it was the first time that's ever happened. And I said, yeah. She's like, I've been following you for the last few years. I said, oh, nice to meet you. Um, and she said, how did you heal yourself? Mm-hmm. And at this point, I hadn't been open about bee venom therapy. Um, it was, I mean, now the word is out. Yeah. It's on the tip of people's tongues. But back then, my friends- I wouldn't say it's even on the tip of people's tongues now, though. I mean, like, people are talking about it, but there are still a lot of people that you say bee venom to, and they're like, excuse me, what? That's true. There are 1.9 million people this share with post-treatment Lyme disease. And I think that we've only the tip of the iceberg with really little tip, understand it. So, um, so yeah, but I mean, but even so three years ago, no one talked about it. So I was just really reluctant. And again, I didn't want to, I was really reluctant to share my apotherapy, which is the term for bee venom therapy, the umbrella term for like, you know, all the healing that can happen from hive products. Um, I was really scared to share my apotherapy experience not because of any issues people might have with live bee stings or anything, but because I was tired of people proclaiming that a Lyme treatment healed them, Hmm. having everyone jump on the bandwagon. And then a year later, they're like, oh shit, I'm sick again. Hmm. And so I really wanted to prove to myself that it worked before I shared it with others. Yeah. And so I didn't want to share my story until I knew that I was fully 100% fine. And when Faith tapped me on the shoulder, I felt 100% back to normal, but I hadn't yet been challenged. Right. I had no idea that about six months later, I'd find out that my mother was dying from cancer. Hmm. Um, I had no idea that I would have to move out of New York after living there for, you know, 20 plus years. I had no idea that, you know, all the stresses that would happen subsequently. So, um, and I knew that some people would feel better from Lyme modalities, but then the minute that they got stressed, it would all come back. Mm. So I hadn't had that type of trauma challenge me before. So I just said to Faith, I'll teach you what I know, but you know, no guarantees, like never taught anyone else. And you know, she was in a horrible shape when I mm-hmm. met her. Um, her and her husband had spent tons of money at a really famous doctor, Dr. K, we'll call him. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just got nowhere and they were broke and they were desperate. And so I said, let me see if I can apply what I know to you. Mm-hmm. Um, immediately saw the holes in lab testing, immediately saw, you know, the holes in diet and lifestyle. And within three months, she was reporting that she felt like she had hope again. Within six months, she was hiking and walking and, mm. you know, planning, planning for a future that she hadn't for years. And so I didn't really, even after that, plan to change my life from baking to start the Heal Hive. But then other people during those next six months started reaching out to me. And then I started seeing, because people started reaching out and strangers were sending me lab tests, I started seeing this systemic dysfunction within the medical system. I saw people that had lab tests that said they had gluten, um, gliadin antibodies that were never Mm. then sent to gastroenterologists. I saw people that had massive low hormones that were never sent to, um, you know, a gynecologist or OB. Um, I saw these egregious errors in, in accountability for these patients. And I started becoming really angry again. Like Mm. I had anger when I first got sick worked through that. As I said, I put the bitter pills on the 
in the, in the bed, in the nightstand. Yeah. But then I started getting angry for others. Sure. And that was easier because I didn't have to hold that anger. I could just mm. be, I could be upset for how so many people were still being failed. And I started kind of reawake, reawakening an advocacy in me. Um, and then as more people asked me to help them, I just started helping more and giving more advice. And then all of a sudden it was only last year, last October, I was uh, catering this Hong Kong socialites um, wedding in Palm Springs. And it was crazy. She had about a 250 person wedding and she mm-hmm. wanted eight desserts per person. And I just moved to Sonoma. We just moved from LA. I mean, there's two moves in like two years. Eight desserts per person. I couldn't even eat two desserts, let alone eight. They, they, they were petite fours. Yeah. Still, it was a lot. And my husband came and I tried to find a commercial kitchen and we just moved here like a month before and I couldn't. And so I was like working between two different ovens and two different houses. And he came home one night and I was bawling, crying in front of the Mm. oven. And he was like, oh, babe, it's going to be okay. You're going to get the desserts done. And I said, no, that's not why I'm crying. I was like, they're fine. (laughs) I'm like, this Mm. is a lot, but it's fine. He said, why are you crying? And I said, all day today, I've gotten emails from people that are desperate that have tried bee venom therapy, it's failed them. You know, they thought it was their last hope. They, they, they don't know they're stuck, they're lost. And I was like, I've just spent all day with my hands covered in flour, just like trying to help them and text back and like be on Instagram all day and like bacon. I was like, I just don't know how I can do both. Hmm. And he, he kind of shook my, my shoulders, shake me out of it. And he said, you're not going to save anyone's life with paleo brownies. Hmm. And I looked at him and I said, well, what do I do? And he said, you know what you have to do. And so that was October. Very um, good advice. He always has great advice. Mm. He was also the one that said to me, no more, no more experimental therapies. You're doing bee venom therapy. Mm. So, you know, I, I really value his advice. He's a smart man. Yeah. And um, I spent the next few months just thinking about it and helping more people and reading more lab work and just trying to see how I could take my journey and build it into a system and then um, decided to beta test it with a retreat in March and through a retreat in Sonoma. And we had 11 um, retreat attendees show up and um, it was magical and wonderful. And I brought in a wonderful nutritionist named Magali, Magali Breck. Um, she built a, a bone broth company called The Kitchen, which um, bone broth, which is awesome. It's like a low histamine glass bottle bone broth. And so we became friends through Instagram and I really loved her approach. And she truly believes in autoimmune paleo diets and how that heals, but also in being a normal person and doing an elimination diet and, you know, learning how to bring and bring in more foods and, you know, diversify your diet. And she's really holistic based, but like practical. Yeah. So I was like, you have to come. We'd never met before, before the retreat. And she cooked these like literal five-star meals for everyone. So for many people hadn't actually had a nice meal cooked for them in years. Yeah. And so we treated them with that. And then a yogi who had uh, first taught me back in New York, uh, breath work and uh, singing and chanting, you know, and learning to to uh, restore the vagal nerve. Um, mm-hmm. She happened to move back to her hometown, which was the Bay Area. So I brought her in on board, and uh, the universe had- definitely conspired in your favor. Oh, absolutely! It was, it was like you were due. Good. You were due. Right? <laughs> it was like you got to do this. You got to do this. And yeah. so we brought her in, and I had no idea at the time that she had been spending the last few years uh, working with uh, grief yoga specialist. 
Mm. And so it was a magical three days of just transformation. And one of our um, attendees ended up driving up on her own, was really, really scared she could even drive there. Even though she lived in the Bay Area, she was only about an hour away. She fell asleep for most of the retreat um, lectures um, because she was so fatigued and she felt so horrible, but she recorded them. She left the retreat and as I waved her, waved her away, she was giving about three others a ride back and she stopped her car, jumped out, ran towards me and she said, I came here with no friends. And she was like, I'm leaving with a car full. Mm. I'm like, I still cry. I know, that's and, so beautiful. And she's now one of our, you know, A plus students. She got off of oxycodone after 10 years of being on pain relievers. She's lost nearly 50 pounds. <sighs> she's now in Italy right now. Her third trip, I think, to Italy in the last six months. Um, wow. She's completely regained her life and she's starting a uh, Montessori doula um, company. And wow. she's just, she's just, she's just amazing. And yeah, so it, it it really is something that is takes a lot of effort and a lot of work, but um, I love doing it. And to watch people like her um, just thrive is is worth it. It's that really that you you saved chronic illness saved your life, and now you're paying it forward and and helping other people. So it definitely feels like a calling. I did not. Yeah. I did not build this with anything else, but let's just see if it works. And yeah. yeah. Now, despite all of our, our positive news about bee venom therapy, mm-hmm. um, we should be clear while we're talking about it too. It's not as simple as just getting bees and stinging yourself, right? Like you've talked about that there's a, a holistic and very integrative approach, but you also encourage people once they've learned about everything to get their own bees, right? Oh yes. Um, yeah. You know, I think that we, people, people don't realize is that beekeeping is kind of expensive, um, to keep beehives up and healthy. And that the more we support beekeepers who ship bees to people with bee venom therapy, the more we actually build, you know, healthy, robust beehives. So it is actually supporting the bee population, but, um, that's that the, do the bees die when they, when you use this? They do, they Mm. do. But to put it into context, a healthy hive in the middle of summer will lose a thousand bees a day. Oh, wow. Yeah. So bees are constantly, and the interesting thing is that with basically um, within a short amount of time, the beehive, the community of bees know how many bees they've lost per day and the queen bee makes it up with creating more baby bees. So it's a cycle that yeah. is self-sufficient. So that, you know, that, that intelligence there, I mean, it's fascinating too, because we're, we're in this post-truth world, right? Where people, unfortunately, where people don't know where to look for information, but you are obviously a trusted source and you're showing people where to seek trusted information. But not only that, you know, I also wonder about the bee crisis we're in too and how, how that has played into the work that you're doing, because we know that bees are dying off at alarming rates right now, you know? So the work you're doing, is it more of, do you think it's raising awareness and actually encouraging more people to consider raising bees? And I hope so. I mean, a, a, a bunch of my clients have already started their own beehives. Um, and then a girlfriend who was so sick with um, Lyme, she had that version in which you throw up a lot. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So Ducani, I think it's mm. called Duncani. Um, so she was, she was as bad as me. She was literally dying. She's a dear friend of mine from New York who moved to LA and, 
of course she was stuck in like the, but the ozone, but my doctor says this. And finally, like six months in to like really tr- throwing up 20 times a day, her, her and her husband were like, Brooke, okay, we'll trust you. We'll try mm-hmm. this. Um, so I taught her and, um, they're not thriving. They, they bought a farm this spring in mm. Vermont on an island. They're calling it Nice Island. Oh, that sounds and so lovely. It sounds so nice. <laughs> they're building it into a pollinator, um, a pollinator island, and they've wow. now culled all the deer. They're making it tick-free as much as possible, of course, in Vermont. And they're going to build it out. And um, I'm hopefully going to work with them to build this camp that will be. Oh for basically pollinator awareness and also for bee venom therapy. And so just that is someone that literally what two years ago, a year and a half ago, I started working with. And now she, she, all the summer, she worked 14 hour days, tilling soil, clearing weeds, and she has her life back and she's building a pollinator sanctuary. So yeah, I do believe that the sacrifice we make of a small amount, is not really that many bees. It's only, you know, the max you really should ever do is 10 bees three times a week. That's 30 bees. Um, you add the, up the numbers. It's not that many bees. And, you know, I, I healed up much less from that. There's some people on the internet that like to proclaim it has to be 10 bees. I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't follow their advice because I learned from a nurse and she told me to listen to my body and to go at my own speed. So I did. And, um, I, I heal from a lot less than 10 bees, but it really, when you add up the numbers, you know, just by supporting the beekeepers that you're ordering the bees from and by becoming bee aware, I think that we're actually adding to the bee population mm-hmm. by doing bee venom therapy, then subtracting from it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I'm also wondering, um, you know, with the, as, as bee venom therapy continues to to grow in popularity, like do we have long-term studies that are showing us the effects of, of bee venom therapy and treating certain diseases? And does this mean that like all chronic illness can be cured with bee venom therapy, do you think? Sadly, um, we do not have the research. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the major new uh, 2020 um, missions of the Heal Hive is that I actually, for 10 years, I built and founded my own nonprofit in New York. So I have experience doing that. Mm. So my goal is to actually build out a nonprofit arm of the Heal Hive for research and development of bee venom therapy for for everything. Because we do know that it is a powerful antibacterial. We know it's a powerful antiviral. Mm. We know that it has a massive chemotherapeutic agent. It also has a really, really powerful um, anti-inflammatory that is known by molecular weight to be a thousand times more powerful than any corticosteroid on the market. Um, It is a wonderful mast cell degranulator, which we know a lot of people with with long-term chronic illness have mast cell disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, it helps with that. So, I mean, the sky's a limit. They're using it for HIV therapy. They're using Mm -hmm. it in hospitals for MRSA infections. I mean, and it's not just bee venom. It's also propolis and royal jelly and, um, you know, all the, and bee pollen for allergies. There's so many different avenues we can take with, um, you you know, bee research. And so, you know, a lot of people are, putting money in behind it. A lot of big farm is mm. actually trying to silo out these different aspects of bee venom so that they can patent it and then sell it as medicine. But that's I frustrating, say, but <laughs> let's put the research into the actual whole bee mm. because, you know, let's not, let's not forget that nature usually is the easiest source of finding mm. something. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's what I'm planning for 2020, 2021. I'm, yeah. I'm You've got so many plans. I really, I'm like, let's go. <laughs> 
Well, I, I credit bee venom. I mean, yeah. I'm healthy. And you really, I say to everyone, because I, I think one of, you know, if I can end with something is that I, mm. one of the things I deal with clients all the time and we just, the chronic illness community at large is this feeling, is this desperation to get better. Yeah. In which you're just like, but I have to, I have to get back, I have to get back to work. I have to do this. And I try and say to them, you can't do anything until you're better. Like you have to just accept and figure out a way through it until you're better because you cannot compare yourself. You cannot try and force yourself. And the more you force yourself to try and go to work earlier than you should try and handle more things, try and like start a business, the more you're putting your health at risk. And I didn't try any of it until I was 100% healthy. And that's why I can do it all because I can handle the stress. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. You sound like my mom. Um, <laughs> it's all very good advice. So um, let's let's round it all out. Um, I really like to sum up my interviews with a top couple of top three lists. And the first one, you've already mentioned a number of fantastic tips for people who are living with chronic illness, but wondering if you can sum up some top three tips for someone who maybe thinks something's off. Maybe they're looking to get tested for Lyme. Maybe they know they have Lyme. Maybe they've got something else going on, what would you recommend to the spoonies out there, um, whether they identify as such or not, um, to navigate the minefield that is chronic illness? I would say the first thing is comprehensive testing mm-hmm. and do not cheapen out on it. No matter yeah. how expensive it seems it is, do a GoFundMe, do whatever it takes, sell, you know, sell your shoes on Poshmark. I don't care. Yeah. One thing you need to know is what's going on in your body. And you don't know it until you've done true comprehensive testing and do not rely on doctors for that list of comprehensive tests. Um, they're lazy. It takes them sometimes 15 minutes to a half hour to an hour to actually fill out a comprehensive lab requisition. Mm -hmm. They're used to just having their nurses do the normal one. And that's not enough. So you really do need to do your research to find out how to do your own comprehensive labs. And um, I will be teaching a class on that. Ah, very good. And is this one of, because you also teach classes that are, um, you can do them remotely. So is it something that you're planning yeah, so to the do? Yeah. Has a digital Academy and we're expanding all of our, um, all of our um, classes for the next year to also encompass autoimmune infertility you know, general gut health, but also a lot of it is helping people who don't know that whether they have Lyme or not navigate whether they do. And so I'll be teaching kind of an intro course to just how to figure out what's going, what the fuck is going on with your body. Maybe I'll call it that. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) It's the WTF course. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. So first tip, first tip was comprehensive lab work. What's after that for the top three? Um, Diet. Mm. You know, staying away from gluten is not a is not a trend. It is, you know, something that will absolutely help everyone out there. Um, I, and eating organic, you know, glyphosates are known to really cause destruction in our um, digestive system. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there that say, Oh, just stay away from like the top offenders. And I'm bullish about this. I say a hundred percent organic and you know what? It's not expensive. Start actually going to farmer's markets apply for food stamps. Mm. Most of them you can use at farmer's markets. Start actually spending the time and cooking your own meals. And then people go, but I'm too tired. I don't have time. Yes, you do. Everyone can buy a $50 Instapot. And if you can't, bag, bar, or steal. And you you throw a protein, vegetables, and some water or some broth into an Instapot and you have healthy meals for the week. There is no excuse for not eating healthy. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Labs, diet, what's number three? Mental health. Yeah. 
That seems to have been something that was very consistent with you throughout your health journey. So absolutely. I had done uh, three years of deep psychoanalysis before I, way before um, I had ever gotten sick. And I really credit understanding how to question my, my own authority Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) is that I, it, it taught me to get out of that place of selfishness of me, 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 and put myself objectively saying and being able to assess whether I was handling things from a self-destructive way or a self-serving. And I'm not always perfect at it. I can still be self-destructive. I'm human. We all are human. I'm not here to preach and say like, I'm, you know, holier than thou. But I do think that, you know, our, our society does not put an emphasis on mental health and therefore it, it trickles down to us and we forget how much mental health is important. So all of you out there that are dealing with depression and feeling inadequate and feeling, you know, hopeless, work with a therapist, go to a yoga community that, you know, bring, brings in breath work and community, not like a yoga works and a big, you know, yeah. you know, hot bodies getting sweaty, but like I'm talking true yoga community, find somewhere where you can support yourself in a positive way. And worst case and best case is go on a nature walk once a day, or at least every other day, or at least once a week, try and get out of nature because until you get your mental health right, you can never help yourself. It doesn't matter how much B medicine you're doing. It doesn't matter how much antibiotics you're doing. It really, everything stems from whether you can handle the stress. And if you can't, you're not going to get anywhere. So that is foundational. Yeah. And it's also seems very interconnected to a a certain level of discipline that you you certainly have innately, but that you seem to have developed through making the choice to survive, really. You know, you can't be a victim. Mm. And I see it so often. I see it with a lot of clients. Um, and I'm trying to teach them that, you know, life has not given you um, everything you wished. And it's life is definitely not fair, but it's up to you to decide whether you're going to be a warrior or a victim. And I say that to my clients all the time. You are warriors, not victims. Mm. You are warriors, not victims. And mm. sometimes I think it gets through. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. All right, one last top three list. Do you have anything in your life that gives you unbridled joy that you're unwilling to compromise despite the lifestyle adjustments that you've made around your wellness? Maybe it's guilty pleasures, secret indulgences, comfort activities even. Um, uh, biodynamic organic wine. <laughs> that a girl. (laughs) That's what we love to hear. (laughs) Um, you know, uh, I, I don't drink copiously. I don't drink every day, but I do drink. And, you know, I look at my aura ring. I have a biohacking ring and I Mm -hmm. notice that I don't get enough deep sleep. I don't get enough REM the days I do, but I love it. It's my guilty pleasure. I've learned to drink earlier, become more of a day drinker than a night drinker. That's how, um, but you know, yeah, I don't think I'll ever give up enjoying the pleasures of life. Um, I'm a little bit, a little bit of a sybarite and, um, mm-hmm. I love good food, good wine, hanging out with people, you know, beautiful environments. And I will never give that up ever. Yeah. I love that. Anything else on that indulgence list or is it mainly just the wine? <laughs> um, I'm pretty disciplined. I have yeah. to say. Yeah. So, and I've been, I, I, I derive pleasure from being healthy. Mm. So it's really, really wine is my only true vice, I would say. And it's not that bad because I only drink clean wine. So yeah, absolutely. Well, and you're also in an area 
in Northern California where there's certainly access to those kinds of wineries too, which I bet is really great. <laughs> I moved to a very dangerous place for me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Really good food and really good wine. <laughs> yeah. Well, Brooke, is there anything else that you would like to add as we round everything out? I mean, certainly tell everyone where they can find you to find your work and perhaps go to a retreat with you. Well, I first want to say that the Heel Hive, the reason I named it the Heel Hive and not after myself is because it really isn't about me. It's about all of us. It's about the community we build. It's about the practitioners we bring in. We just made a new hire this year. Um, in 2020, we have an ER nurse who's going to be working with us, um, who's used to crisis. So she's going to be wonderful. And she's an autoimmune warrior herself. So she gets a lot of this. Um, so I just want to leave people with the, you know, whether it's the heel hive or not that you need a community. And find a community that's based in positivity. There's a lot of people out there on the internet that take advantage, that yeah. spin lies, question them. Make mm-hmm. sure that the people you speak to and you get advice from are real. Yeah. And that they, they're backed up by fact and not fiction. Yes. And do the same for your doctors. Mm-hmm. Additionally, I would say, um, you know, anyone who wants to work with me, know that I'm tough. I... I demand you to be a warrior, not a victim. Mm. And if you're ready, <laughs> come on. But I'm not going to handhold you. And I'm not going to, you know, tell you that it's okay to cheat on food, on lifestyle, on stress. Um, I'm, I'm pretty hardcore. But I, I'm hardcore because I know what heals. So you can find um, everything about my approach, my story on The Heal Hive, which is www.theheelhive, like H-E-A-L-H-I-V.com. Or you can go to our Instagram, The Heal Hive, um, and Everyday Expert. Um, and I just have to thank my staff. Um, I have such wonderful staff. One of them um, who does all my marketing is The Krillness. She has an awesome meme-based uh, Instagram called yes. The yeah, and um, the gutsy chef, which is our chef nutritionist, Catherine um, Robinson, who is our um, yogi. All of them make the hive, and more are coming. And um, if you have any questions about bee venom, we're an open book over at the Heal Hive. We're transparent. Mm-hmm. You can ask our the people who follow us. Um, you can ask us any question, and we're always happy to answer. Yeah, and you also list like approved practitioners and lots of scientific articles. Um, with tons of information. So it's great. So people can really see what good source material looks like. Yeah. Nothing that we recommend is not scientifically based and third party peer reviewed. That's really important. Yeah. Brooke, it has been such an honor and a pleasure speaking with you. I'm so excited um, to watch the Heal Hive continue to grow and um, hopefully I'll see you and some other listeners who are tuning in at a, at a retreat sometime soon. Oh, I hope so. Thank you so much for including me. I am honored and it's so nice to finally talk to you and see your yeah. face. Yeah, I know. We've <laughs> been actually Skyping this whole time and yeah. um, you're a beautiful soul and thank you thank for sharing you. all of this with everyone and it's been a total pleasure. Thank you so much, Brooke. You're welcome. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.